Well, the March Marathon is officially coming to an end here today on the Igloo with me, Timmy Ice. Welcome inside. And tomorrow, the NCAA Women's Final Four commences at the Target Center in Minneapolis. And it's a really good field that has made it to Minneapolis. The first game will feature Louisville and number one, South Carolina, number one overall seed that is. And then in the main event, UConn is back in their 14th straight Final Four, taking on the defending national champs from Stanford. Joining me to preview the Final Four uh, for UConn, met them at the Big East Tournament, um, pretty much were like table mates on press row for three straight days. Uh, really great guy and a good writer, the UConn women's basketball beat writer for the daily campus at UConn, Stratton Stave. Stratton, you know, it's really funny, you know, it was nearly well, well over three weeks ago, almost a month now, but really good that I got you on my show this time for real. Yeah, no, it's been, um, it's been quite the three weeks, but it's definitely great to be on. And um, it was great spending time with you at the Big East tournament and it's uh, great being here right now. So super excited to talk some UConn basketball. So this tournament run, I mean, UConn is definitely woken up in the last pl month plus after losing their first conference game in nearly a decade to Villanova, won the Big East tournament, beating Villanova in the final. And in the NCAA tournament, I mean, Mercer was easy work. But let's talk about this UCF game. It was chippy. It, it featured not a lot of points, a lot of great defense. And UCF was the best scoring defense in the country. But UConn, UConn just did enough to one-up them. I mean, what did you personally see from UConn? I mean, you could – I mean, other than the NC State game, I mean, between the other three, that was easily the most difficult game they had to get through prior to the Elite Eight. Yeah, I mean, you look at this UCF team, and, I mean, they had, what, three losses coming into the game? So – they were pretty severely underrated by everyone looking at them. I mean, you look at their defense. I mean, obviously their offense is far from anything special, but uh, I mean, the UCF team, I mean, they came in there. They have this incredible defense, this incredible grit to them. Uh, obviously um, coach Abe, who's out in Georgia now, she just moved. I mean, she's a serious, seriously good at getting her girls together to play. and. I mean, they just had so much fight. They were fighting for their lives. Um, the team obviously is going to look very different next year, and you have a lot of seniors. And they really just put together a defensive masterpiece to shut down. Really, um, I think UConn's a, roughly a top 12 team in the country offensively. I mean, obviously their defense, you see people talk about the defense more, but their offense is incredible. And um, just to be able to shut that down and, hold UConn to 52 points. It was just a really, really strong performance. Now, the atmosphere at Gamble was, was really great, and Paige Backers kind of played a little bit of a role, pumping the crowd up during a, a first-half tie-up. Um, the funny thing was, it was so loud in there that I, I, I didn't even hear the whistle on television. So I'm guessing that was kind of why Paige and that, Paige and that UCF player just stayed tangled up uh, but it's really funny watching the video of it afterward. You know, Paige is, you know, doing her thing. And there's going to be a recurring theme. Avina Westbrook being the calming presence on this team. I mean, it's not going to show in the stat sheet, but her value in that regard, intangible. 
Yeah, I mean, you exclusively look at the stat sheet, and Avina Westbrook hasn't been any, anything particularly special these past couple of weeks. But, I mean, when she's on the floor, you look at the role that she has and in just making sure that everyone is just – I mean, you have, this is a relatively young team. I mean, you have Beckers, who's a sophomore, Fudd, who's a freshman, Mule, sophomore, Aaliyah, um, sophomore. I mean, you sort of need that veteran exposure and – someone who, like Avina Westbrook, who's really just been through it. So, I mean, just having her as that calming presence, really, it's been, it's really been huge for the team. And I think that having her there and her being one of the people who played most of the games throughout sort of the period where they um, had all those injuries, I think that was really, really helpful for the team. And I think that you look at how unimpressive they looked during that stretch, think about how it would have been if she was one of among those who were injured. Could have been a lot worse. That much is for sure. Now, obviously, after that tough UCF game, they go to the Sweet 16, and granted, they took they took a blow from Indiana as they got a three literally right at the horn, barely getting the uh, three-pointer off the fingertips as the light went off. But how impressed were you with UConn despite that, you know, coming out of the second half and you know, blowing the doors off them in the second half, especially that, you know, unprecedented run to start the third where they just blew it wide open. Yeah, I mean, you look at that um, that that portion of the game. I mean, it sort of looked like UConn was going to start running away with things when they were up, what was it, 37 to 30 going in, going into the half. And then they, Aaliyah Edwards made a um, play where she basically thought she heard a whistle and then and threw the ball out of bounds which ended up giving Indiana the opportunity to hit the last second shot. So you could sort of see that that second half, right at the beginning, it was going to be a turning point where either UConn was going to be soaking in that in the fact that they could be up seven going into the half versus the four. But instead, they really just came out there incredibly strong, as you, meant, as you said, and um, probably put together the best three-and-a-half-minute stretch of basketball of the season. And that was just – you could sort of see everything start to click. And if they're clicking like that, no one in the country can stop them. I mean, Indiana at one point had been, uh, they were ranked as high as four or five. So, right. yep. yeah, so, I mean, they're, they're as good as anyone, even, even though they uh, sort of took a hit towards the end of the season. So, I mean, just looking at that run against a team as good as Indiana, I mean, they, if they can get that, that sort of run, this weekend, uh, it could bring home number 12. Oh, a hundred. I'm with you on that as well. Now, obviously the biggest scare came in the elite eight against NC state. I, I think NC state, even though, again, the games at Bridgeport, again, massive home court advantage for UConn. That's a discussion for another time, but NC state played the role of the one seed, although UConn started off well. Uh, but obviously their psyche was thrown off when dorky Uha suffered that gruesome wrist injury and you, you you saw it yourself because you were closer to UConn's bench how visibly distraught everyone was I mean how much can you speak to that and then again my, the team mom Avina Westbrook just keeping everyone calm and not freaking out over what they just saw watching the fifth year senior from Hungary go now yeah I mean the entire bench I mean I was as you said I was right across from there I mean they were completely distraught uh, I mean you had people crying um no one really knew what to do just because the injury is so gruesome. I mean, do you go over and help her? Do you, um, 
do do sit by the bench and give her space. I mean, it was just like no one knew what to do because it was just so bad. But I mean, you look at this team and um, as previously noted, Avina Westbrook was not one of the people who had, who had been injured this season. So I think her ability to an experience in coping with these sort of situations and having experience calming the team after they take a blow, I think just really helped in that mid-game situation where UConn sort of had to scramble to uh, um, fill the hole. I mean, because you look at the situation, um, it was, things were looking pretty bleak. Uh, I mean, they, you had um, Aaliyah Edwards and Olivia Nelson and Dota at that point each had um, two fouls. And I mean, that, that was a really scary moment. I mean, not only because of the injury, but also because they each had two fouls early, early in the second quarter. And then all of a sudden, Dorka, who was having, who had played some of the three best minutes of her season prior to that, was um, all of a sudden out. So I think Avina really helping to calm down those UConn bigs just really played a pretty incredible role. And, and Avina was, you know, right over there with Dorka, consoling her, you know, I know Gino and Coach Daly were doing their job along with the trainer to, you know, just try to get Dorka under control. And obviously emotions run high, crying and screaming in pain. And, and, you know, you heard it on TV, but how much can you speak to how just dead silent it was at Total Mortgage Arena? Yeah, I mean, you could hear a pin drop. It was complete silence. Um, I mean, obviously there's going to, for any sort of crowd, there's going to be pretty dead silence with, uh, with any sort of injury like that. But uh, I mean, you look at a crowd that was 90, 95% UConn fans. I mean, it was, you could, you could hear anything. So the second half NC state, again, they showed why they were the one seed that, you know, they made a big push but, you know, the last five minutes, maybe about five to seven minutes of the fourth quarter, it was about as back and forth as anyone could expect. And, you know, obviously the game itself in regulation didn't really finish all that great. It was tied at 61 and then no one scored for the last final minute or so. But, you know, in at the end of regulation, though, who do you think rang the bell best on both sides? You can start with UConn on that. Yeah, I mean, um, I think... I mean, you, you just look at, I mean, just going maybe even like a little, a little earlier to start. I mean, there was a period of time when NC State could have run away with it. I mean, you look at, they were up, what it was, they were up four points and UConn was sort of in that, in that distraught mindset and um, things were not looking good. But down, down the stretch, I mean, I think, I mean, we mentioned earlier just having that composure of the seniors, I think Kristen Williams was really underrated during that time. I think that she, she played really, really well in that um, stretch. And then uh, for NC State, you look at Kunin, she just played incredible. I mean, she, her composure, I mean, she's going to be a top 10 pick in the WNBA next year. Uh, she just played so, so, so well. So that was so impressive. So in overtime, Again, back and forth, back and forth. And the funny thing is, you know, UConn started one of eight at the free throw line, but they, we'll talk about how important it was for them to finish 11 of 12, 
But UConn, they were making these free throws, and they're up three in the final seconds of, of overtime. And 77-74. And normally you're thinking, if, if like, oh, I was thinking, okay, if I know Gino, Gino's a legend. He's a pretty smart coach. I think he'll follow foul up three. But yep. I, th- I think he really trusted his defense. I mean, who wouldn't, given how good they are, uh, to try to defend the three. But, again, I think NC State just had an incredible play design, executed well. And in the corner, deep corner, three-pointer ties the game with a, about a second ago. What did you see and how that unfolded the, and the reaction um, from everyone, from the players to the coaches and, and the fans? I mean, uh, it was such a great play design. I mean, obviously, you would have been able to negate it if you had fouled to uh, sort of just split, split the time, as you mentioned. But, um, I mean, just the play design was incredible. I mean, Jakia Brown-Turner had been having such a incredible game up to that point. So I think just getting having the chance to find her in the corner with a look where she, we only, she only had one person on her was just a really great look by NC State. And the crowd was just dead. I mean, you obviously had the, whatever, 5%, 10% of NC State fans who were losing their minds. But um, all the, the media, the UConn fans, I mean, pretty much pure shock. Uh, it was, I mean, you would, a lot of people were expecting the game to be over. And um, obvi- obviously, it was far from it. And the really funny thing is, you know, that game made history. That was the first game in the Elite Eight or further in the in the 40-year tournament history to go to a second overtime. And yep. in that second overtime, that's when Paige Buckets got her bag. I mean, you know, was that, was that the most dominant you have seen her probably since pre-knee injury in December? Oh, definitely. I mean, you look at Paige. She scored 15 points in the overtime periods combined. Her previous high, like since the injury, was 16 against Georgetown in the Big East tournament in the first round. So, I mean, in the overtime alone, she almost outscored her her uh, previous pre-injury high. I mean, she was unstoppable. I mean, putting her in the pick and roll, she got open in the mid-range countless times. I mean, as soon as she shot it, you knew she wasn't going to miss. And, I mean, if she can have any sort of semblance of that performance anytime this weekend, it's going to be really tough for a team like Stanford or um, South Carolina or Louisville to stop her. And speaking of, I mean, I think that's a perfect segue because this final four and been page page backers, it's in Minnesota, her home state. And I I know it's not going to be a real home game, but I mean, her, her, her friends or family, they're going to show out for this. And it's going to be really great to see. But obviously, you know, first and foremost, they got to get through this national semifinal game. And they've lost in this stage, I think, maybe what, three or four, four, four times, times four times in a row now, 17, 18, 19 in this past and last season. So they're trying to avoid it and avoid a fifth straight loss in this stage of the tournament. And they're taking on the defending national champions at Gina Walltime. In the championship game, he's on 11 and 0, unbeaten, but he's 11 and 10 in the semifinals. Uh, so, do you think this might have, this might be one of those things where, like, I think Gino is going to have to get over the hump here, or maybe just exercise some demons from the last four tournaments? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, it's obviously a funny thing to say, like, you know, getting over the hump or, or whatnot. I mean, it's, uh, but yeah, I mean, there, there is a certain level to it. I mean, no one who's playing for UConn has been to the championship game. Uh, I mean, you obviously have the freshmen who haven't been there in the first place, but I mean, you also, you have all, you have this group of people who you know it's going to be their, a lot of their last years. You know, I mean, because Kristen Williams, uh, Olivia Nelson Dota, Avina Westbrook, this is, they participated in senior night. This is almost definitely going to be their last go around, their last chance. I mean, they're hungry. Uh, and Paige, who, I mean, sort of, who sort of laid an egg in last year's semifinal, I'm sure that she's going to be really, really, really motivated to uh, sort of go out here and just show everyone that she's that she can get be one of the legendary UConn guards. So, I mean, I think Stanford's obviously not an easy opponent, but I mean, you've got to think that they have as good of a chance as Stanford to win it. Uh, and I agree with you there too. And obviously, Stanford—they're the defending champs for a reason. They're the second-ranked team in the country for a reason. I mean, you could go up and down on their roster. I mean, there's so much to like about them. Um, obviously, Jones, the MOP from last year, still there. You yep, also yep. got Hull. Hull's been balling out too. And th- again, most of last year's team is back, and that's going to help them big time in this game. Uh, so overall, I mean, what's the most important things that UConn's going to have to have to do against Stanford? You know, limiting some of the things that they do really well in order to find a way to win this game and get to their first championship game since Brianna Stewart's senior year. Yeah. I mean, I think one person that you look at that you have to be a little concerned about is uh, Cameron Brink. I mean, she has just been so good this season. I mean, she's six, five. I mean, she, most teams have not been able to find an answer for her all season. So, and especially with Dorka Juhas out, it's going to be a struggle to, sort of stay in front of her and try to play in a good defensive mindset when you're just concerned about being short of big. So I think having to face her on the offensive end and on the defensive end, because she leads the team in block shots. She is at blocking two and a half, two and a half uh, shots a game. So, I mean, she, I am, if I, if, if I'm Gino, I'm drawing my game plan around, around trying to stop Brink and you try to make, you try to make a, Stanford kill you from other other angles. Yeah, I mean, you might might want to try to get them to shoot shoot from deep as much as humanly possible. And then I think if Brink somehow you know continues to get the ball inside, I think the big thing is, especially with no Uhas anymore, you got to make sure that Edwards and Nelson Adota stay out of foul trouble, stay in the game as long as they possibly can. Yeah, I mean, you look at the end of the NC State game, and Olivia Nelson and Dota played whatever the last 15 minutes of the game with four fouls and she did not bow out. So they're definitely, I mean, that brings the question of uh, why, why wasn't she able to do the first, uh, whatever, 30, 35 minutes of the game without fouling and playing well, but she's very capable of being a good defender without fouling. So I think just being able to, being able to stay out of that foul trouble, especially a man down, is just incredibly critical for the Huskies. And I think also another person you're going to, you're going to want to look at to bring in 
to sort of aid is Caroline Ducharme because she hasn't had a tremendous role these past couple rounds, but um, I think that she could really help defensively. And I, that's that's one player again. You know, like Gino hasn't really gone to the bench as much as he has. You know, prior to the tournament starting, like Caroline, I think she only played like what three minutes. Avina, most yeah. reliable player off the bench, she played only fifteen. So yeah. I mean, I mean, I think Gino's gonna have to. I mean, if, if what he's been doing has been working, but now the question becomes, you know, he's gonna have to get more production from the bench. And knowing how much talent he has on the bench, they're gonna have to step up if they wanna, you know, find that slight advantage uh, to be able to win the game. Exactly. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, the the bench is just gonna be critical. I mean, you're gonna. All those, I mean, obviously, in the game against Indiana, Dorco only played three minutes. So you're not losing a tremendous source of minutes there. And obviously, in the NC State game, she played three as well. But, I mean, against a team, once the teams get better that you're playing, you sort of, you're going to want to reduce your, um, how tired you are towards the end of the game, your fatigue. So just really minimizing that is going to be important or else, Stanford's sort of going to go on a run run on you at the end, and it's going to be all over before you know it. And the, the weird thing is with Stanford, I mean, there was a – I saw this on Bad Beats on Monday. Stanford was up 23 yep. points with, like, six minutes or so to go and failed to cover, and I think it was seven and a half, and it ended up being six. That ended up being the final margin of victory for the Cardinal. Now, it, and, again, we talk about narratives and all that. Uh, I mean, you got two legendary coaches, Gino. And Tara Vanderveer going at it, going at it, and ultimately in this game, I mean, Uhas's absence is gonna play a bit of a role, at least depth-wise, and maybe in, in terms of the forwards and how important winning that battle down low is gonna be. But ultimately, you know, at least for this game, who do you see winning? Do, do you think the Huskies finally get past the national semis and get to play in a title game? Yeah, I, I think they. I think they're able to pull through. I mean, you see, I mean, Stanford, like you look at the beginning of the Texas game and they had a pretty serious lull um, where they just couldn't find a bucket. And they've, they've gone through these throughout the season. I mean, obviously they, um, they, they won, they won whatever the past 24, 25 games. But um, I mean, these lulls, I mean, these lulls that they've, I mean, they're often able to recover because they don't tend to play teams that are as good as UConn, but uh, with UConn's defense and the mixture of the Stanford offense that can end up going stale sometimes, uh, I think that the Huskies are able to pull out a tight one. And um, yeah. Yeah, no. So the really funny thing is I'm going to have to go against you here. I think Stanford's going to win a tight one by, but it's gonna, I think it's gonna be a one possession. I think it's gonna be like a three point Stanford win now, but obviously that's gonna be remain to be seen. But that, that, I mean, that's just my overall thought just on that game. But let's just say UConn goes to the championship game. I mean, what's the percentage you're talking about with how likely it is that the, the Huskies get South Carolina versus if they get Louisville? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't like their chances against South Carolina. Um, I mean, you look at a player like Aaliyah Boston, uh, and I just don't know how you answer her. Uh, I mean, UConn still, since Stewie, they haven't had a big, 
that can just dominate. I mean, Olivia Nelson and Dota is not going to be able to effectively defend Aaliyah Boston. And I mean, she hasn't the past three three years, she's not going to be able to now. So that really concerns me. Um, against Louisville, I think that they would have a decent shot, especially uh, with the revenge attitude from their December meeting. Right. Now, now in terms of like, I mean, if again, if UConn goes to the title game, like what's the percentage that, what's the ch- percent chance that they draw South Carolina versus the percent draw that they draw Louisville? I think it's like 75-25 that they get South Carolina. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I would probably say somewhere, somewhere between 66 and 75. That's what I would get for South All Carolina. Right. Now, I think there's there's the funny thing is there's a revenge factor in both of these games between I, I, I think more I don't like what would be the more like storyline mo- most compelling storyline for a revenge factor South Carolina the loss in the Bahamas or Louisville when Paige was still freshly out and yet AZ out and really it was limited and I'm pretty sure Amari DeBerry got a, a good amount of minutes in that game too yeah yeah she did um I would definitely say the South Carolina loss because, I mean, you look at that game. I mean, UConn was pretty much at full strength. I mean, obviously, AZ Fudd was a uh, shell of what she is now. But, I mean, that game was theoretically full strength against South Carolina. So, the Louisville game, I mean, I don't know if anyone even cons- I don't know if anyone even considers that as a loss just because it was so far from the UConn team that is playing right now. So, I, mean, I think you have to look at the South, at the South Carolina game and say that that one is going to be stronger from a from a revenge standpoint. So, I, I'm just going to assume that you're probably thinking if you got UConn beating Stanford that they get South Carolina in the national yep. championship game. Obviously, stopping Aaliyah Boston's much easier said than done, and that's honestly, I think if you're Gino. You might just say, you know what? Let Aaliyah Boston do her thing and worry about everyone else beating you instead. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's definitely when you have a player like Aaliyah Boston, uh, I mean, you have to make those sacrifices. But it's that's a really tough one just because she is so good and she'll just torch you the entire game. Uh, and I like I like her abilities more than I like the rest of the team's abilities. So, I mean, yeah, but the issue is that you can get you can get into foul trouble with if you try to guard her guard Boston tough. So, I, mean, I guess you probably do just let her do what she wants to do, and then from there, hope that uh, she that you can do better than Aaliyah Boston. So, last but not least, when it comes to you know what is ultimately going to be the biggest difference maker for UConn to win that 12th national championship, which would make them, you know, the record breaker, the program with the most national championships in division one college basketball beating uh, well, eclipsing what they're tied with, with the UCLA men at 11, what's going to be the most important difference maker for UConn to, to pull that off. I mean, you could pull on depth defense. There, there could be a plethora of things, but what stands out to you Stratton? Yeah, I mean, their defense is going to be there. Uh, I mean, the diff- the main, the big difference is going to be their offense. Uh, I mean, do you see UConn versus UCF offense, or do you see UConn versus uh, Indiana offense in that three-minute stretch? So, I mean, when you look at the biggest difference maker, their offense and its ability to 
sort of click and compete, especially with Paige? Is she going to be um, NC State overtime Paige, or is she going to be shell of herself Paige? So, I mean, you you look at that, and that's going to be the biggest difference. Can they score? Which feels silly to say, but um, that's that's really the biggest difference for them. And one thing I think I'm looking forward to, and like we haven't brought her name up much. And when it comes to the final four, you, you don't want freshmen to get jitters. I think Paige, even with limited fans at the Alamo Dome last year, Paige got some jitters and it got to her enough to the point where she struggled and Arizona capitalized. But now that Paige is a year older and year wiser, you looked at this year's freshman class. I think AC Fudd's got to keep keep herself composed. I mean, she she obviously knows about the big stage. She's been in the spotlight for a long time before coming to UConn, but obviously the lights are brightest now that it's the final four. So now I, I really believe that AZ is going to step up, but you could easily just say that, but, and it's easier said than done. But if, if you know AZ and I think I know AZ enough, she's going to step up. It's just a matter of, you know, not getting too rattled by the moment or getting frazzled or maybe playing outside of herself, you know? I mean, you look at, I mean, everyone's going to talk about how Paige went off for uh, 27 and many of which were in the overtimes, but AZ had an incredible overtime set too. I mean, she was hitting all these clutch jumpers. I mean, she was not phased in the least. So, I mean, obviously there's going to be a difference playing uh, in Bridgeport with a largely Connecticut crowd versus uh, in Minneapolis where uh, it's sort of, I mean, it's pretty central to everyone. Uh, everyone who wants to have fans can have fans pretty equally. So, I mean, I think I don't see her getting phased in the same way Paige did. Although as a shooter, that is the easiest, she is in the easiest spot to get phased because it's so easy to have a slight jitter and then all of a sudden your shooting form is out of whack for the next couple of days, which is, can be the difference. Yeah. And, and especially not because I know this because I was a shooter when I, when I was growing up, like you yep. miss a couple shots, your confidence goes way down. And, and on this stage, it can make, it can even make you just completely be scared to shoot the ball altogether. I mean, that might be a little bit of a fear, but I think if you're AZ and I know, being the kind of person and player she is, even if she does miss miss a couple, she's going to sh- keep shooting. That I think that just goes to show kind of character, person, that kind of like competence and machismo that she brings to the court. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at AZ and her, her confidence throughout the year. I mean, she was sort of struggled with it uh, sort of in the beginning. And then you talk about how um, her teammates, particularly Caroline Ducharme, who is, um, she has no uh, hesitant shooting, sort of was able to help AZ understand, like, hey, you're such a good shooter. Like, just shoot it. We got your back. We know you're going to make it. So I think that confidence that she's developed is just going to be really, really huge. And um, if she can just get into a groove early, uh, she could be really, really dangerous. And another person I just remember, man, 
And she was one of those players that was really, really distraught when Dorkin went down, a fellow European, uh, although in the backcourt. Nika Mule, biggest defensive player of the yeah. year. I mean, you know, she's had some tough assignments. You know, Reina Perez, not an easy person. I mean, she doesn't score a lot, but she does a lot of things that makes it difficult to guard because she runs an offense so well. And now you're going to face, if you go to the championship, the number two team in the country, most likely the number one team in the country. I mean, how important is it going to be for, for Mule to show exactly why she was the biggest defensive player of the year and lock up the starting point guards for Stanford and most likely South Carolina or hell, they might draw Louisville and she might have to guard Haley Van Leff. Yeah. I mean, Mule is just such an important, I mean, no one, I mean, obviously more people talk about her now that she's the defensive player of the year, but when you, when you're looking through the stat sheet, I mean, no one's, circling Nika Mule and saying that's the person we got to watch out for. So, I mean, her defense has just been tremendous all year. And uh, it's definitely interesting that she's sort of seen less playing time in the postseason. But, uh, I mean, she is really through and through proven that she can just lock down your, the opposing team's best player. And, um, I mean, she's the face of their top five defense in the country. Now, and so so now to wrap this up, um, I mean, another player, and she's shown up in big games, um, and when she's needed to, because she's a senior, she's come up with making a lot of big shots. I think Kristen Williams should be another person to look at as someone who, you know, need a big shot. If Paige doesn't have it, the next best option should be Kristen Williams. And then Aaliyah Edwards, who, by the way, was a shell of herself up until maybe, what, the last month of the season? She's going to yep. need to step up big time as well. She was all Biggie's tournament team um, a month ago now. So ultimately, I mean, you have UConn beating Stanford. Now, do you see them even without Dorka and even against, I mean, Louisville will be an easier draw, but even against a juggernaut like South Carolina who decimated the Creighton Blue Jays who UConn took yeah. down twice. I, but grand, I, I know, I know why, because Creighton's severely undersized and Boston had her way. Now, I mean, do you see this UConn team leaving Minnesota with some hardware and some nets to take home? They win if Louisville wins. That is, if Louisville beats South Carolina, UConn is going to win the national championship if they make it to the finals. They, I mean, they don't. They just don't have an answer against South Carolina. But um, Louisville, they kept it close, even when they were incredibly shorthanded in December. So, I mean, I just that's that's my that's my general feeling that they win if they play Louisville, South Carolina. Nope. You know what? I I I think I could not agree more with you. I mean, and, and, and to the point of. They still hung tough, despite how shorthanded they were, which it, it was absurd. So, I mean, ultimately, um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But, hey, it's one game at a time. You get the defending national champs. Uh, that's at 930 Eastern on ESPN from the Target Center. Uh, again, make sure yep. to uh, tune in for the women's Final Four. And, again, you know, we were talking about beforehand, uh, you know, Stratton, you're going to be there in Minneapolis. We're looking forward to, uh, you know, seeing the coverage that you're bringing uh, for the Daily Campus. And, you know, thanks for uh, taking the time to preview the women's Final Four with me. Um, and, again, safe travels to Minneapolis. And, you know, definitely we're all pulling – for the Big East, at least on my end, I'll definitely be pulling for uh, UConn to represent the Big East well. And hopefully, you know, 
give the conference a national championship and also, you know, make history becoming, you know, the first program men's or women's in division one to hit the hit a dozen. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I really, really had a blast today. So um, really, I really look forward to hopefully be on here again and uh, hopefully we can bring, bring one home for the big East. Yeah. And, and trust me, I mean, having you on to, you know, talk about, Oh yeah. Like, Oh yeah, I'm back now. And I happened to, have seen us win a national championship so yeah that would be great but Stratton thanks again for the time man again safe travels to Minneapolis yep thanks so more on the igloo coming up after this welcome back y'all now obviously the women's final four doesn't tip off until tomorrow out in Minneapolis at the Target Center should be really really good because South Carolina isn't a clear-cut favorite to cut down the nets. Same goes for Stanford. Same goes with UConn and Louisville, probably the outlier despite being a number one seed there. One of three, but obviously they were the fourth number one seed this year. And they seem like the least likely to win it all coming in. But that's, that's just my two cents. But again, that starts tomorrow. As for tonight, huge, huge games. And it starts with the men's NIT championship game at Madison Square Garden, Xavier and Texas A&M. A&M is favored by four and a half, if you're curious on betting, and the over-under, 137 and a half. I mean, A&M has looked really good in this tournament. You look at their road so far in this NIT, beat Alcorn State by a dozen, and then rattled off. So all four of their wins have been by double digits. And the average margin of victory, 14 and a half. Again, they won by 12 over Alcorn State, a pair of 15-point wins over Oregon and Wake Forest, and then in their NIT semifinal game at the Garden on Tuesday, they trounced Washington State by 16. AM really is the hottest team in this tournament. I'm, I'm just looking at how they've played in the last several weeks. And then they look pretty, pretty stinking good. I mean, if you want to look at since, let's just say February 22nd, which if I do the math right, that's 37 days. And I'm trying to like, look at all the results. They've won 10 of their last 12 coming in. So they got hot and got left out of the NCAA tournament. Xavier finished the season almost the exact opposite way. And yet here they are in the NIT championship. Their margin of victory in this tournament, not as 
great as Texas A&M. 4-point win over Cleveland State, 16-point win over Florida, 2-point win over Vanderbilt, and a 7-point win over St. Bonaventure. So, their margin of victory is actually exactly half of what Texas A&M was. Their margin's plus 29, A&M has been plus 58, so average margin of victory for Xavier in this tournament, 7.25. Just looking at this matchup, obviously for Xavier, missing Paul Scruggs, yeah, it, it, that sucks. It sucks. And you look at big X factors. A&M's defense, much better than that of Xavier. Xavier's a better offensive team in terms of their efficiency on, on offense. But again, it's that defense for Texas A&M that makes such a big, big, big difference. Important guys to look at for the Aggies. Well, first off, you got to start with Quentin Jackson. Averaging nearly 15 a game. And then you add in a guy like Henry Coleman III, averaging 11-6. and six. And then their, their only other double-digit score on average, Tyrese Radford, averaging about 10.7 a game and leading the team at 6.2 rebounds. Three-point percentage-wise... They are not good. They shoot right around 33.5% from behind the arc. Xavier, on the other hand, I feel like three-point shooting, actually, they're even worse, 32.5%. But in terms of the guys that you like, you can count on to hit some threes, they have the options, like Nate Johnson, guy who can hit a bunch of threes in a heartbeat. And looking at A&M, how they have fared from behind the arc in this tournament, it's interesting to look at. The three-point shot, obviously, is going to be extremely important. But in their last game, they were just 2-for-14 from behind the arc. Against Wake, they only made five three-pointers. On 23 attempts, mind you. Against Oregon, they only made four three-pointers on 14 attempts. And then against Alcorn State in the opening round, they only made four of them on 20 attempts. This is a... They've been bad from three in this tournament. So if I do the math right, they've only made 15 threes in this entire tournament. And you compare that to Xavier... Seven, seven against Cleveland State alone. Four for 20 against Florida. Against Vandy, five for 14. So that's already 16. And then against St. Bonaventure, they hit eight. So 
Xavier's had 24 threes in this tournament. 15 for Texas A&M. Three-point shooting is going to be a big X factor. If Xavier can shoot the three well, they have the guys who can get hot from deep. Johnson, and I didn't, forgot to even mention Adam Kunkel. So in terms of who's going to need to step up, I mean, listen, Zach Fremantle is right in his own backyard. He's from Teaneck, New Jersey. Yeah, he's going to want to show out. And he did last in the last game on Tuesday. I mean, he was great with 18 points off the bench. Can he do it? If he can replicate that or even just get in the ballpark, that's going to be important. But I don't know, man. I just think Texas A&M, they're really on a roll. And obviously, I respect... I really do respect the coaching job that has been done for Xavier. In these circumstances, obviously, Travis Steele parted way, and Xavier parted ways after the first round game of the NIT. And Jonas Hayes, as I, I was having a hard time remembering his name, but I got it. Jonas Hayes has been doing tremendous, but now you're going up against a legitimately good head coach in Buzz Williams. And you look at what Buzz has done. You know, he did great things at Marquette. He did great things at Virginia Tech. And has been good at Texas A&M as well. And arguably they probably got robbed of an NCAA bid after going to the SEC final despite being the 8th seed. And the only team they lost to there was Tennessee. And they beat Florida, granted, in overtime. And then they went through a really good Auburn team and then beat what we now know as an Elite Eight team in Arkansas. And they beat and they trounced them before they fell to Tennessee in the SEC final. You know, Xavier, I really love the run they've been on. It's been nothing short of spectacular. I commend them so much, but I think... Texas A&M will just have too much. I got the Aggies winning the NIT final. If I were to put a final score on it, I'm going to say 74-70. to Texas A&M will beat Xavier to claim the NIT championship. Now, over to the WNIT. Not quite in the championship round. We're in the final four stage, and Seton Hall is one of those final four teams, and they are taking on the Blue Raiders of Middle Tennessee State. And honestly, again, this may may just be me. And by the way, before I forget, make sure NIT Championship game, Xavier Texas A&M, make sure to watch that 7 Eastern on ESPN Xavier Trying to go for their second NIT title. Last time they did it, you got to go all the way back to 1958. But back to the WNIT. Again, this is semifinal. Pirates, Blue Raiders in Murfreesboro. 
That's at 7.30 Eastern, and you can see that on ESPN3. Middle Tennessee is, not going to lie, they've looked really good in this tournament. They obliterated Wofford in the opener in their opener by 30, beat Wake Forest by a dozen, took down Vanderbilt by two points, and then went to Toledo and beat the Rockets in overtime by two. The Pirates started off, their first three games were all at home. They beat Fairleigh Dickinson by 22, a three-point win over VCU, seven-point win over Drexel, and then they went to New York City to take on Columbia and beat a really good Lions squad by three. I really think this is a very even matchup. Looking at who have been the standouts in this tournament for Middle Tennessee, I mean, just the last game alone. Anastasia Boldreva. In their last game, she had 28. And she's averaging less than 10 a game this season. So she had 28 against Toledo. A lot of their important contributors are Europeans. Like the af- the aforementioned Boldreva is from Russia. Dorsar is from Israel. Sania Malashka is from Belarus. Also worth noting, I mean, rebounding is going to be an important aspect of this game too, and the player has been leading them in rebounding. I'm trying to... I just had her name, and now I lost it. As I'm trying to pull this up. Courtney Whitson. That's... See, I knew it. I don't know why I doubted myself, but Courtney Whitson has been is the is is the team's leading rebounder, averaging seven boards a game, twelve and a half per game scoring wise. This is still a relatively young team. Dorsar is the only senior. Malashka's a junior. Um, Whit got the Whittington sisters, Alexis and Amanda. That are juniors. And then you got a lot of freshmen. Including Boldreva. Depth is going to be important. Middle Tennessee. Let's just see against Toledo in their last game. They went eight deep. As. Well the usual starters are Whitson, Boldreva. Jalen Gregory freshman, Alexis Whittington, and Dorsar. And then off the bench, they used Malashka and Courtney Blakely. And in a few minutes to spell the bigs, Jada Granham. So really, seven-player rotation that they use that play at least 10 minutes. Yeah, I would say seven. It's a seven-player rotation. Seton Hall, on the other hand, depth could play a bit of a role because they usually play eight in a game, 
and only one of those bench players will play more than 10 minutes. And recently, that's been Amari Wright. However, you could get some good minutes out of Katie Armstrong, who has been around for a long time and has been a great player before arriving at Seton Hall. Curticia Dean played 10-plus minutes earlier in this tournament against VCU. So they have options, just a matter of, well, do you want everyone to step up? Ideally, you want everyone to step up. It's unrealistic to expect everyone to step up big time, but got to get something. I mean, Amari Wright got to get her defense to be strong again and come up big. I mean, she had those two big free throws after getting that steal to ice the game. Katie Armstrong, again. Grad transfer coming from Fairfield, and while she was while she was at she's been at Seton Hall, she's eclipsed the one thousand point mark in her career. But overall, just looking at most important parts of this game, Seton Hall is going to have the best player on the court bar none, with Lauren Park Lane. That's not up for debate. Top 40 in the country in scoring. Top 5 in assists. And she's been a bucket in this tournament. Averaging 27 a game. And has racked up a lot of assists as well. Averaging 6.3 assists along with those 27 points. Usually when a player scoring 27, they're not getting a lot of assists. But LPL has. And then some. Obviously, you want Sydney Cooks to dominate down low. She's been really solid in this tournament. Averaging... 16 a game. And averaging 8.5 rebounds as well. And she's among the top 150 in the country in scoring. And among the top 150 in rebounding. 79th in the country field goal percentage, nearly 50%. Going to need Andre Espinosa-Hunter to knock down threes at a good high rate. You know, this is a player averaged nearly, averaged right around 18 and a half a game last year. This year, in this tournament, she's only averaged about 12 points a game. It's still good. But obviously, having the emergence of LPL and Sydney Cooks has definitely helped. Almost like a decoy. Maya Jackson, as I mean, she was relatively quiet in the Big East tournament. But here in this WNIT, she's averaging nearly 10 a game. She's been consistent. Nine points against FDU, VCU, and Columbia, and a dozen against Drexel, and... 
shooting the three really well. She's made seven threes in this tournament on 13 attempts. That's over 50%. She can knock down some threes. That's going to help the Seton Hall team out big time. And again, the winner of this game, they get the winner between UCLA and South Dakota State. So if Seton Hall wins, they got to continue doing a lot of traveling, I'm assuming. Because they're going to have to go to either Brookings, South Dakota or Los Angeles, as I've illustrated before. So what do I think is going to happen? Well, let's, and I kind of do want to make a prediction for what that WNIT championship game is going to look like. On the UCLA, South Dakota State side, I got UCLA going on the road and winning by a point. I mean, they're they're road tested in this tournament, by the way. Road wins so far against Wyoming in triple overtime against Pac-12 rival Oregon State at Gill Coliseum, who is arguably the number one overall seed in this tournament. So I don't think they're going to be scared to go to Brookings. And South Dakota State's been really good in this tournament, too. First three wins by double digits. And by a combined 59 points. Only a five-point win against Alabama in their last one. You know what? I'm just going to go out on a limb. I think UCLA will win this game. And then shifting gears. So that's at 8 Eastern tonight. Now over to the matchup that we're going to have most of our attention on. Seton Hall, Middle Tennessee State. I wouldn't be shocked if this one goes to overtime too. Like how Middle Tennessee went to overtime against Toledo last time out on Monday. No, Seton Hall. At this point, they know how talented of a team they are. They're looking like the team that preseason I thought was going to be a lock. Not just, I, th- I thought, I, I'm like, yeah, I think they're going to be in the tournament. I thought they were a lock for the tournament preseason. Obviously, it didn't pan out that way, but they're playing like it right now. I know this is the WNIT, and I know the competition isn't as the same as the teams you're seeing in the NCAA tournament. However, what's the big difference maker here? They have an elite point guard in Lauren Park Lane. And that alone can propel them to the championship game of the WNIT on Saturday. And you know what? Bias be damned. Give me the Pirates going to the WNIT championship by winning a very hard-fought game against the Blue Raiders of Middle Tennessee. And by the way, I know a friend of mine from around here who is now living in Florida, in the Tampa area. Um, my boy S. Dot, I know he's a Blue Raider alum, uh, who's ironically a Middle Tennessee alum coming from Utica, of all places. And it was really funny. The first, the first ever game I ever got to broadcast for WSOU, Seton Hall's radio station, was a volleyball match 
Seton Hall against Middle Tennessee. So kind of funny how it goes full circle. But obviously this game's in Middle Tennessee, in Murfreesboro and not South Orange. But yeah, I'm going to go with the Pirates. And I think they will have a matchup with UCLA at Pauley Pavilion for the championship. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Igloo. You know, I think this is the official end of the marathon. However, I think I'm still going to have a new episode out tomorrow just to recap everything that I previewed here tonight. And of course, I'll preview the champion, well, the final four on the women's side. You know what? You know what? I'm going to need some time to think it over because, again, the March Marathon, again, this is the 31st consecutive day with a new episode. I'm running on fumes at this point, but, I mean, we're almost at the finish line now because the season is so close to being over. The NIT on the men's side ends tonight. The WNIT ends on Saturday. The Women's National Championship game is on Sunday. And then the Men's Championship game is on Monday. So, you know, I got some stuff to figure out. Yeah, I don't I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, I'm clearly running on fumes. Um, I think... What I'm going to do, you know what, I'm just going to take, I'm going to take Friday off because I already kind of, I mean, you, I mean, you heard the women's final four preview with Stratton and I'm just going to, you know what, I'm just going to try to further elaborate on some of the things that you heard me talk about with Stratton. So That national semifinal game, UConn-Stanford, that's at 9.30 Eastern, ESPN tomorrow night. Stanford, currently a one-and-a-half point favorite, and a lot can change with the point spread and the over-under between now and tip-off. Listen, Stanford, defending national champs, really, really good team. And they've looked... Really good in this tournament, and they haven't really been tested all too much. Dominated the first two rounds at home in Palo Alto, and then in Spokane. A little more difficulty. They've won by a combined 15 points in those last two games against Maryland and Texas. UConn, on the other hand, I mean, they obliterated Mercer by 45. Grinded out a win against UCF. Took down Indiana much more easily and then won in double overtime against NC State, who is the top seed in that region. I think the margin of victory might actually be better for Stanford in this tournament. And and the thing is with Stanford, a lot of the players that helped them win the national championship last year They're still there, like Haley Jones, like Cameron Brink. And Cameron Brink has just been an absolute stud down low. I mean, rebounds the basketball really well, and that could spell some problems for the UConn bigs, especially without Dorky Juhas now. Lexi Hall 
has been really good in this tournament. I mean, she dropped 36 on Kansas earlier in this tournament. And it's really great. You know, she got to ball out in the Spokane Regional in her hometown. And in terms of other important players to look at for Stanford, I mean, I obviously mentioned the big guns with Lexi Hull. Lacey Hull, her sister who also starts, Haley Jones, Cameron Brink. Then, of course, you got Anna Wilson. Yes, related to Russell Wilson, the now new quarterback for the Broncos. I think it'll be important for Francesca Belibi to contribute well off the bench. I mean, she got a dunk in this tournament. Don't get to see a lot of dunks in women's hoops. I mean, look at some of these other important bench players. Obviously, believe he's the most important. Right up there, below her on the bench, Kiki Iraq. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to take a swing at this. I know Kiki's obviously the first name. Ariathan, that's gonna be my guess, and then. You got Hannah Jump. And Hannah Jump has been a really solid bench player and steadily improved every year, averaging nine points a game, but in this NCAA tournament has kind of had her struggles. Maybe she'll come ready to go in this semifinal game. As for UConn, obviously depth is going to be extremely important because you look at who they've got off the bench. Ducharme, Mule, Westbrook. It's going to be important to get some sort of contributions from all of those players. Westbrook being the glue that keeps everyone together as the team mom, as you heard with Stratton. Yeah, she's going to need to really, you know, leave her footprint on this game. Nika Mule is going to have to play great defense on whoever her defensive assignment is going to be, which, if I were to take a swing, I'm guessing she'll get the assignment on on Lexi Hull. You know, well, when she's out there. To start the game, though, who's Paige Becker's going to guard? My guess is she'll get Lexi Hull. And then obviously, hell, I mean, Mule might might get put on Haley Jones. I mean, who knows what Geno's going to do, but obviously making sure you defend Jones and Hull and then getting it down low to the defense on Cameron Brink. Obviously, when it comes to that, it's going to have to be by committee between Olivia nelson Dota and Ali Edwards. That much is clear. My overall outlook on the Final Four, to me, I, I think it's rather clear South Carolina is the best team out of the four. But again, it's not like 
it's a hundred percent like yeah south carolina is like a lock to win it now like no no that's not the case they look really good but i i i can't just go all in put all my chips on the table and put up put them all bet them all in south carolina because who knows how south carolina is going to look in their semifinal game against louisville right before that definitely don't want to discount the cardinals either i mean Haley van lith is an absolute dog But I still think South Carolina is the better team, period. And I got South Carolina winning their national semifinal game by nine. As for this game, though, I think the spread for now sounds about right. But that over-under, by the way, is really low at 128.5. I think that, that over-under is going to get just obliterated. And in the end... I think Stanford, again, the narrative around UConn right now, and it's an interesting stat that's been pointed out. Gino Oriema has been to the Final Four. This is his 22nd appearance in the Final Four. In the national semifinals, he's 11-10. But in the championship, he's 11-0. That's absolutely wild. Like... I'm still having a hard time wrapping my head around that. And I saw this graphic on SportsCenter with Scott Van Pelt three days ago. And they haven't been to the championship game since 2016. And that was Brianna Stewart's senior year. And we all know what Brianna Stewart has done. Being the only four-time Final Four Most Outstanding Player. Men's or women's. I mean, do I think they get over that hump of the national semifinals? Actually, I'm going to say no. I got Stanford winning. I, it will be a one-possession game, but I got the Cardinal pulling it out by a final of 73-70. to 70. But if UConn makes it to the title game, you'll, see my pre, you'll hear my preview of that on Saturday. As well as more of an in-depth preview of Villanova, Kansas in the Final Four as well. You know, like, I'm, I'm, I want to look at the entire Final Four as well with Villanova, Taking on Kansas. And of course, I mean, we can't not... Like, like we can't ignore the matchup between North Carolina and Duke. You know? You can't not... You can't ignore it. It, it. The scene, the context, and all that, it's so prevalent. I mean... It's the first ever meeting between two heated rivals in the NCAA tournament. Easily the best rivalry in all college basketball. And here they are meeting on the biggest stage, the Final Four. I mean, it would mean a hell of a lot more if it was the championship game, but obviously, here we are. It's the national semis and not the championship. But there's also the added context, as you know. This could be Coach K's last game. And North Carolina soured his final home game at Cameron Indoor Stadium. And they they could end his career right there. In the Superdome. In the Final Four. 
And you already heard my thoughts on if Duke wins at all, which if that's the case, I will go to my grave thinking that this is the most scripted shit I've ever seen for Coach K to go out on top. Like, honestly. And in terms of the coverage too, it's like, Coach Kane, everyone knew that this was his final season before the season started. To make a, even though it wasn't Big East then, I'll make a Big East reference to another great head coach who went out on top. But he announced his retire, that he was going to retire before the tournament. So it's not like he announced he was going to retire before the season started, but the late great Al McGuire announced to his team that he was going to retire after the NCAA tournament. And they won it all down in Atlanta back in 1977. And I don't know the entire details surrounding this, but I know John Wooden went out on top in 1975, winning the title over Kentucky and San Diego. And I'm almost certain that I don't think he made the announcement preseason that he was going to, retire at the end of the year. So the way I kind of see it, this is different because Duke with Duke, Coach K announced his retirement preseason. And you you play all this basketball during the year and now we're here in the final four. Coach K is there and Duke. They got Carolina in the national semifinals. And you could get Kansas in the championship game. You could get Villanova also. But again, Jahan's Maniga, he may have me sipping the Kool-Aid of these conspiracy theories or that all these matchups and whatnot, they could be premeditated. I'm starting to believe him more now, especially with what's going on in this tournament. You got a Duke Carolina Final Four game and the possibility of Coach K winning a national championship in his final year when he announced that he was going to retire before the season even started. <sighs> I'm going to have a hard time believing that... I'm going to have a hard time believing that this is just purely coincidental. I'll die on that hill. I don't care. But again... I just, it's not that I, it's, I don't know how to say it other than like, it's nothing against Coach K. It's nothing against his players. It's just the whole fucking narrative being, it's so annoying at this point. And I just want to see, I just don't want, I just don't want that to happen because again, it will seem so scripted if Duke wins it all. But again, I'll have my preview of Villanova, Kansas. On Saturday, along as my recap with all the games that you just heard and a whole lot more. So thanks for tuning in. I'm going to take some needed time off. So, again, no episode tomorrow. But since I covered a lot of this stuff, what you're going to hear on Saturday is my recap of the men's NIT championship game between Xavier and Texas A&M. Women's NIT Final Four recap between Seton Hall Middle Tennessee 
And if Seton Hall wins, I'll have my preview of the WNIT championship game. If again, if Seton Hall wins between the winner of either UCLA or South Dakota State. And then on top of that, I'll have my recap of UConn's national semifinal game against Stanford. And if they were to win, my my preview of the championship game against either the winner of Louisville, South Carolina. And then, of course, previewing, as mentioned before, I, I know this will be a lock for sure for Saturday, Final Four preview, national semifinals, Villanova and Kansas, and I'll even touch on Duke Carolina a little bit as well. So that's what's that's that's what you should be on the lookout for. But I know for me, and by the way, and I know I'm missing this and I'm kicking myself for it. Uh I'm gonna have my thoughts also on the introductory press conference for the newest head coach at Seton Hall, Shaheen Holloway. I'm Mentioned yesterday that obviously the news broke that he is the new head coach for the Pirates. His introductory press conference is ongoing as we speak. So I'm going to bust out of here and I'm going to watch as much of that press conference as humanly possible. I know for a, as a Hall alum, super ecstatic about it and it's a can't miss moment. So I'm going to go watch that now. Thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you Saturday.